0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. From the hip, we're talking that shit. Small doses and keeping it real. Small doses with me and Vince. It's so funky. <laughs> uh, welcome to another episode of Small Doses, and um, man, a lot going on is the understatement. Of the century, and that's actually literally of the century, because we are in the midst of a historical shift in this country in what I would call a, it's basically, it's a coup. And, you know, some people might say, "But but it's legal, and it actually isn't because we have Supreme Court justices that lied under oath about how they felt about Roe Ro, Ro v. Wade as a legal precedent that was not to be overturned um we have a Supreme Court justice Clarence Thomas who has absolutely committed impeachable offenses by being in partnership with his wife, Jenny Thomas, and also by simply politicizing the court and making decisions that are not representative of the United States majority. Uh, We also are seeing the court be politicized to a uh, form that is delegitimizing their rule. They are essentially operating as dictators, And misusing their power, and I don't know about y'all, but I was somebody that was always skeptical about like why these people need to be in position forever. Like, why, what 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 is it about these people that puts them in position for life? And for anyone who's ever watched these Supreme Court her- hearings, particularly Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, and Clarence Thomas there's nothing about these people that makes them virtuous or that makes them seemingly like full of values that are representative of fairness. Uh, they are associated with very problematic um, ideals and behaviors. And yet they're being, they've are they been given these positions because they have been tools for a minority system. And I say minority because they are not representative of the entire, uh, of the majority of the United States, but of a minority system that is, all about the fundamentalism of Christianity, and and really, as the uh, United States representative said, I think her name was Millie Molly or some shit like that. She said, uh, "The protection of white lives." So I know I dove right into this, but this episode uh, is a two parter, and it's it's about the state of things and how shit how serious shit is. And I just wanted to speak first from you know where I'm at with it and and what I've been gleaning. And then I'm going to be joined by a very, very good friend of mine, Christy Henderson, who has been in the trenches with Planned Parenthood and a number of social activism groups uh, since I've known her for the past 25 years. And she is an just a bastion of knowledge, particularly on not just Roe v. Wade, but also the ways in which these rulings are going to exponentially affect our lives. And I think it's very important for her to share this with us because I think a lot of us are not truly aware And thus, maybe in doing so, she will ignite for you like that point of entry for where you can be a part of change. Uh, Perhaps she will ignite for you um, some insight into how you can ignite someone else's point of entry for being a part of the change. As we are stepping into this phase of American life, we come to identify that we have to look at ourselves differently. We have to stand in the mirror and ask ourselves, what am I going to be about moving forward? And I think that's something that a lot of folks are afraid to do, are afraid to do. They're afraid to have that conversation with themselves because once you have that conversation with yourself, you then have to move and live in that and moving and living in that can, can definitely mean that you're going to have to lose some things. It means that you may have to shift and not everybody likes change. Uh, and it may mean that you have to reassess things that you thought you had put to bed, things that you thought were your own personal legal precedent. Uh, that now, with new information and um, insight, you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know, maybe I need to readdress that. I am. When we're talking about the the the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, we must also acknowledge that there's a number of other laws being Uh, gutted by the Supreme Court at this present time. One of those is the no longer having the ability to sue policemen for not police people. I don't know. To sue the police for not reading you your Miranda rights. Now, we know that your Miranda rights are the rights that are, are, are said to you during an arrest that inform you of what your rights are. Well, The truth is that uh, I was watching um, Tiffany D. Cross's show on MSNBC and there was a brother who came on there to really um, speak earnestly and honestly about the fact that 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 is connected to a law that is actually from Reconstruction. And that was actually created for the purpose of protecting black people from being able to be terrorized by the police because so many of the police were carrying out or were actual members of the Ku Klux Klan. And now in the gutting of that law, it is taking us back. To 1871, and it is continuing to put power in the hands of the police. Now there are other laws that I've talked about. For instance, I think it's Rodriguez versus Castle Rock was the case, but nonetheless, that was the case that said that you can't sue the police for not actually helping you. So we're starting to see that there are precedences being set by the federal Supreme Court that basically say that the police can operate as a vigilante, uh, as a vigilante group, on whatever accord they feel like it. Now, the case of Castle Rock, this woman had a a restraining order out against her husband. She had three kids, I believe, and he violated the restraining order. And when she called the cops, uh, she said, you know, he's violated the restraining order. He took the kids. And the cops actually said, "Um, well, we don't know where he is, so we're not going to go looking for him. And he ended up murdering the children. And she tried to sue the police department for not acting on the violation of the restraining order and lost the case because the Supreme court ruled that the police have jurisdiction on what they decide to help you with and what they don't decide to help you with. Did you know that it takes it even further because you're like, wait, so we've been fighting this whole, you know, police brutality situation only to find out that not only are they exerting force in a way that does not, need to happen, and they're doing so on a regular basis with unarmed individuals, but then they are withholding force when it does need to happen. And they can't be held accountable for either? We're watching our safety, the little bit that we have, we're watching it erode. And it is happening because these Supreme Court justices have been empowered. Now, you know how they were empowered? They were empowered by the Senate, they were empowered by the voters. Because we, who did not vote, also gave space for the people who were voting on the wrong side of things to get people in place. I cannot stress enough how imperative it is that we exercise our right to vote. And I will have Christy give you even more information as to why, but on the local and state level, it's gonna be important even now more than ever. Because what's happening is that this Supreme Court is attempting to, and successfully attempting to put all of the power in individual states. And this is going to seem more like a collection of countries than the United States as this continues to go on because this apparently the next thing they're about to do is they're about to gut the protections that happen across the nation as it relates to uh, oil, as it relates to um, national parks, et cetera. And we saw Donald Trump do that already and they're about to take it even a step further so that individual states will now determine their regulations. Well, my thing is, how does that even realistically operate when our taxes are being paid to a federal government? So I'm paying taxes to a federal government that has no power? So the only thing that would remain is that we would all be protected under an American army? If you look at Texas and the effort that they're making to set themselves up for secession, it is clearly a play to protect the whiteness of Texas. And I want us all to make sure that we are doing our best to get educated right now. I think there's something that a lot of folks are really scared about, which is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know action. I don't know how to stop this. I don't know. Maybe when Christy comes on, she'll be able to give us actual tactics. But when you look at AOC, AOC is like, listen... These are the things that the Democrats should be doing. These are the things that they should be doing. And I'm going to read you um, what she has posted and how it goes all to the clarity of expectations around our leadership. Because that's the other part. It's like, okay, well, we voted people in office. What the fuck are y'all doing? Listen, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, Nancy Pelosi read a fucking poem. She read a poem. There was another senator who was like doing yoga to center himself. If that's what you need to do as a regular person, then baby, go ahead and do that. But Nancy Pelosi and anybody who is in public office, we are all looking to you to do action items that are not about your personal self-care in this moment, but about our self-care as your constituency. Standing on steps singing, God bless America. What the fuck are y'all doing? It's laughable, it's, it's also incredibly disturbing. And I get a lot of shit on a regular basis for saying that we needed to vote for Biden. And I will always say we did need to vote for Biden. We absolutely did not need to have another four years with Trump in office or we would have been where we are now four years ago. Okay? So I stand behind that. I also stand behind the fact that when we voted Biden in office I was very much about the fact that like we needed to get whatever it is done to get him in office and we needed to hold him accountable. So at the end of the day there were people who were like well we shouldn't vote for him if he's not going to give us, if he's not going to promise to give us reparations right now. And I'm just like it's Not realistic. Yes, black people deserve reparations, but it's not realistic that on the dawn, sorry, that on the eve of this election in 2020, that Joseph Biden is going to all of a sudden be like, "Yeah, I'm about to give you all reparations." It's just not a realistic expectation from somebody who has never been radical, never. Right now, I will say right now, whoever comes calling themselves running for office in 2024. Absolutely needs to be on some radical shit if they're really trying to make changes. And I mean that also for the midterm elections. We need candidates that are going to be radical in their platforms because we need folks that are going to be empowered to vote. We need folks that are going to be excited and feeling like, okay, this is somebody who's really going to do things. AOC says, here's how Dems can and must do more than wait for an election. Let's start with why. Seven of the nine justices were appointed by a party that hasn't won a popular vote more than once in 30 years. One of those seats was stolen. Several lied to Congress to secure their appointment. One justice family, Clarence Thomas, was paid by right wing groups for years and he never disclosed it, violating federal law. Same justice's spouse participated in January 6th and he used his SCOTUS seat to vote to keep potential info related to his wife from investigators in Congress. Two justices stand very credibly accused of sexual assault and that's the tip of the iceberg. Election or not, the Supreme Court has a legitimacy crisis and the public reaffirms it. 75% of the U.S. public reports lacking confidence in SCOTUS and those numbers were pre-Roe versus Wade ruling. In a legitimacy crisis, the solution Biden plus Democratic leaders must offer can't just be one of voting. Exactly. Voting is just part of it, but that can't be the end of it because that's like where our power stops, but not where the power of our governing body stops. It's a statute and authority. Compared to executive and legislative branch, checks on court overreach and misconduct are little to none. Leaders must share their plans for Roe and, Ro- and a rogue court. Past presidents from Lincoln to FDR understood the dangerous stakes of allowing an unchecked court overreach its authority and threaten our democracy. Lincoln ignored the court to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. FDR in the plunges of the Great Depression also sought to confront the court structure and core gerontocracy problem of lifetime appointments via public appeal. While he did not succeed, that check came from the people and Congress, not the Supreme Court of the United States. The ruling is Roe versus Wade, but the crisis is democracy. Leaders must share specific plans for both. The president and democratic leaders can no longer get away with familiar tactics of committees and studies. This is what I mean about the radicalism to avoid tackling our crises head on anymore. One, they need to restrain judicial review. Two, they need to open clinics on federal lands. Three, there needs to be court expansion. Four, expand federal access and awareness of pill abortions, etc. For the moments when we do insist on elections, we must be precise with what we need, and we will, and we will do with that power, and what we will do with that power. How many seats does the does the party need to codify Roe? So what she's saying here is that there's all this talk about like, okay, we have elections. You know, yeah, we need to vote. But it's like, yes, but there are specific goals that need to be set, that needs to be met through these elections. For instance, how many seats does the Democratic Party need in order to codify Roe? Democrats need to say that, not just go vote or give us $6 to win. That is demoralizing, losing, unfocused nonsense. You better go, AOC. Democratic leaders must also tell voters the plan. What's the actual need? Which specific seats are we focused on? What votes do we need and where? What states and races? And what's the return? What is Biden and the Congress actually willing and able to do at 52 out of 60 seats? At 52 versus 60 seats. Be honest. Details motivate So let's wake up, everybody. What's good, Democrats? If you don't like what I've laid out here, then please present your plan instead of little why we can't lists. (laughs) AOC was on one today. Let's cut the hand-wringing and get moving. Chop, chop. No more show tunes till November unless it's for GoTV. listen, AOC wasn't here for your bullshit and I'm not here for it either. And then she laid out practical next steps on her Instagram page and it's a slippery slope because more rights are going to be infringed upon. There is so much that they have planned that they've been waiting forever to get in the mix. And when we look at who we have voted for on our side, you're like, you're not even on our side. Like where where even are y'all? Where is where Joseph Biden at this point, you are pointless. You're pointless. I don't even know what you're protecting at this point. Cause like, you know, he's 87 years old. Is it what legacy do you think you're gonna have that you're protecting at, at present? I'm I'm so Also, just I talked about this on my Instagram, but I'm also just not interested in the people who are like, I saw this coming and that's why y'all need to cut it out. There were several people, many, who saw this coming. I've been talking about this since 2017. Hillary Clinton been talking about this. We saw this coming. Great. We did see this coming, but clearly we didn't do enough to stop it. Or maybe it was out of our power. Maybe there wasn't anything we could do to stop it. But what, what the real truth is, though, is that we're here. And it ain't stopping no time soon. So now we need to not sit up here and tout our intellectual ego all over the fucking place and instead use the knowledge that we have, the critical thinking skills that we have that let us know how we got here to identify ways to get us out of here. And by the way, speaking of getting out of here, anybody who's traveling right now, who's vacating right now, like please, when you're on these trips, treat it like dating a country that you could possibly live at. It's, got to, it's about to be an exodus if, you, if it can. If you can leave here, you should leave here. Yeah. Because by the way, there's a whole bunch of people still here that don't see what's happening as a problem that are absolutely going to be affected deleteriously by what's happening. And it's those folks that get my goat. It's those folks that have so much to say about what people like me and you are saying right? Oh, I don't know why y'all still talking about voting. Or I don't know why it matters to you about Roe v. Wade if you're not going to get an abortion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And on some basic levels, it's just like, well, it's just not fair. So as this a justice advocate, this is simply just not fair. But on the other level, it's just, there's so many ways that these things actually end up reverberating to affect people that you can't even count on the fact that it's not going to affect you. You can't. So why take the chance by being indifferent or apathetic. Lock in. Someone said to me the other day, oh, a sister said to me on my on my comments, oh, you know, I'm just disassociating myself from all of this. Is that what you're doing? That's enabling, ma'am. You don't get to disassociate yourself while you're still here. You're enabling, you're enabling this to continue. In the midst of all this, I also have to just continuously remind people that there is a self-care effort that we do have to make for ourselves because we are now not just fighting the oppressor, but we're also fighting the people that are supposed to be fighting for us. We're making the effort to demand, listen, y'all were put in power by our vote. So you need to use that power to protect us. And that is its own just effort right that's its own tiring effort <sighs> all of this is mind blowing and i think you know we just came we're, we're in this pandemic that we're not even out of yet so we're we're worn out you know this was the perfect timing for them because we're worn out people are not even in their best minds Because they've been in a state of, in some cases, as parents, you know, y'all have been overwhelmed by having your kids at home and having to figure out how to, you know, educate them and and still get your livelihood. Economically, so many of us are out, just out of sorts. We're not getting the same income we were. We're not able to afford our homes or rents, et cetera. I mean, we are in the midst, y'all, of uh, an implosion and a collapse and it affects everybody in, in in unique ways but it's affecting everybody. And I think that's the thing that we have to really remember as we are in this scenario. This is affecting everybody. Therefore, it's everybody's problem. There is nobody that is not going to be affected by the way that these changes are being handed down, not a single person. It may be different, it may be different depending on impact but you gonna be affected. I mean, I'm thinking about myself going on tour and I'm just like, I feel like I'm going into hostile territory. The Supreme Court ruled that the Second Amendment means that anyone can have guns anywhere. And it's up to the states to then determine what that means. And this was in response to New York and its concealed carry law, which says that you cannot have, you cannot carry a concealed weapon. Now, some of you all, are living in states where people have stepped up and said, this is what needs to happen. Um, You know, the governor of New York has said that they are meeting, uh, the legislature of New York is meeting to get things put in place to bring back safety and protections to New York State. Uh, Governor Newsom in California, I mean, he, he just looked like he was so confused at the fuckery that's happening. And I've actually been a fan of what Newsom has been on. And I knew I was a fan when there was so much effort made to try to recall him by the right wing uh, people of California. Get your fucking asses out of here and go to Texas. okay? we we're not here for that. And I'm so proud of California for coming out and keeping Newsom in place. And it was a strong outing. Because the truth is, is that we are going to need to see leaders who will actually stand up and say shit. And those seem to be few and far between. But let me tell you, these right wing leaders is loud as fuck because they feel confident. They feel confident that in their loudness, they're supported because now they're all saying the quiet part out loud. This lady said. Thank you for this victory in the protection of white lives. I'm going to tell you right now, ain't nobody had to worry about their white life being protected. Roe v. Wade was not the kicker. But, you know, there's, there's been conversation about the fact that this is all really grounded in there being such a, apparently a birth dearth and that there aren't enough white babies being formed, being born. And so they need to populate the earth. I mean, you look at Catholicism and this whole idea that, you know, you can't have contraception you need to keep having babies and Catholicism is definitely rooted in some racist shit. You know, I know I talk about race a lot because race is everywhere. Racism is everywhere. That was one of the very successful parts that colonialism managed to uh, put in place. Incredible marketers, these fucking colonialists and racists. And when you start to really just go behind the scenes and see just the amount of ways racism has, impl- has just implanted itself and the ways in which it has stolen from so many folks of color, I mean, it just got talked about that actually hockey was created by black people in Nova Scotia. What? Yes. And that even, like, hockey historians are like, yeah, that's confirmed. Hockey, which has become the quintessential, like, white cold people sport, no, created by black folks. Can't know that, though. But one of the most uh, incredible messages that I saw uh, in these past couple days came from um, a sister named... I'm going to get that for you in two seconds... Oh, he, if you heard that video that just popped up on TikTok, he was talking about the first ever public ambulance service was started by black people. That is a fact. And guess why they started it? They started the first ever public ambulance service because the ambulance wouldn't pick up black people. And so black people were dying simply because they couldn't get to the hospital on time. And there you go. The United States was staffed by black men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, and they taught themselves like life-saving techniques and all of these things. I mean, it really is just like, Incredibly fascinating, the amount of ways that black people have managed to just save ourselves. But this sister, LaToya the Songstress on TikTok, she broke down the fact that this whole idea around like critical race theory and not wanting to teach history actually isn't about black people not knowing our history. She said what it really is about is that right now, The white people are actually the ones being controlled who are not empowered. You all are the ones listening. You all are the ones whose babies they want. You all are the ones whose rights they are stripping in a real way as well, because they're saying that you don't get the right to decide if you want to be a parent. And this is all in response to the fact that there have been a huge number of white women who have said, you know, I don't want to parent this many kids or I want to have a career over being a mother, et cetera, et cetera. And they're like that goes against our goal of populating the earth with as many white people as possible. The eugenics is there. And so what this sister is saying is that this whole thing about not wanting to teach history actually isn't about black people. It's actually about not letting white people know the true history because then they'll realize, wait a minute, that's happening to us. And then they will uprise. When she said that, y'all, that blew my whole head. That blew my whole head. I'm going to try and get her on the show. But there you go. Now, that doesn't mean that in the midst of all of that, black people are gonna, aren't gonna are going to be shit on and they're not going to continue to try and find ways to utilize us to support how they oppress other people because that's the thing. There's always going to be the idea that black people are going to be necessary to be put in service, etc. cetera. And I am just really hoping... That we get on the good foot faster than we ever have before. We never had Wi-Fi before. When we've seen these movements happen, when we've seen these um these these shifts take place, we've never had the access to each other like we have now to plan, to motivate, to organize. Never. If you're coming to any of my shows on the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again Tour, know that the conversations are going to be about jokes and comedy. And then we are closing our shows with guests who are a part of the organizing community of these cities. I want to build bridges so that you all who are definitely committed to the change and committed to the fight are given an opportunity to connect to places and people who are already doing the work. I also hear people throwing around the word revolution all willy-nilly, and I'm just like, do y'all even know what the fuck a revolution consists of? Because truth of the matter is, all revolutions don't end with uh, (laughs) with the opposing party winning their freedom. There's quite a bit of time in that time where there's an exponential amount of death and loss. That's why we call it a pyrrhic victory. Because even when the goal of freedom or independence is achieved, so many people had to die to get what they deserved in the first fucking place. And that's what a pyrrhic victory is. It's a victory where the losses are greater than the gain. But when the gain was necessary nonetheless. So let's strap up, let's strap in. You know, if you're following me on the Amandaverse, I will be sharing books that I'm reading and films that I'm watching that, uh, you know, continue to help inform and radicalize and just broaden my mind and my scope around the ways in which we can be change makers. When I talk about radicalizing, I talk about, you know, you may have ideas, you may have thoughts, you may have concerns, but how do you turn those into actions that have actual methodology behind them and not just feelings. It's how it's how you refine the laser of your focus. I suggest that we all invest in making time to understand that. So if you are subscribed to the Amandaverse, then you will see those. If you haven't, come and check out the Amandaverse. No, don't get me wrong, I'm still here, you know, sharing and speaking on these platforms that are free. But uh, I have a livelihood to support too. And over at the Amandaverse, that's what you are supporting is my creative independence to continue to create creative spaces um, where things can be said the way I feel like they need to be said and not censored. Coming up next, we have my homegirl, Christy Henderson, who will join us for part two of this podcast, and she is not censored. And she has just a wealth of knowledge and facts about the way that Roe v. Wade being overturned reverberates, uh, the ways in which we can uh, apply practical efforts with our, our politicians as well as within our communities. And she's also just a sister who has a passionate love for truth, justice, and our people. And she'll be speaking from that as well. So keep it locked. Stick around uh, for the next episode right here at Small Doses. And um, everybody stay safe. Stay safe. A podcast a podcast network.